It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama. Baby, ma. Anything's possible. Oh. Jay's back with the vengeance back. All the real Celtics fans in attendance. This the truth like 34. This like walking in the garden when you hear the roars. The crowd goes crazy. Most in-depth coverage on the daily. Mainly podcast royalty, the content kings. When you talking about the franchise with 17 rings, 17 banners. Way up in the rafters, J. King, John Corrales, and Sam Jam Packard. Focus like Danny at the deadline. Global with it, got a local feel like the red line, the blue line, the green line. Play it in between time. I'ma throw my C's jersey on in the meantime and press play. When the F's done, I can't wait until the next day. Trying to stay in tune with the C's, it's the best way. Hey there, welcome back. This is the Lockdown Celtics Podcast, and I want to thank you for making us part of your regular routine. We're here for you every week through the offseason, the regular season, bearing down on us just a few weeks away. It's coming, baby. It's coming. I'm John Corrales. I cover the team for Mass Alive. I am the only one of the Rain and Jays here for you today to walk you through this Monday podcast Going to start off by talking a little bit about Team USA. We had a game over the weekend, Saturday. The U.S. beat Greece 69-53. I'll talk about that. I was at the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies in Springfield. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I'll talk a little bit about that, what I what I saw there. And then at the end, just a couple of odds and ends from an event that the Celtics had at uh, BU, The some... Something over there, but a couple of things that came out of that, and I'll talk about that. So let's start with the USA game, which I loved uh, because Marcus Smart was pure Marcus Smart. Uh, If you didn't see the game, what you missed was a tight first quarter where the Americans were up 19-17, but that two-point lead was a little disappointing because... Giannis Antetokounmpo sat for the last few minutes and they had a six point lead and they just kind of let it slip and they didn't put any room between them and Greece. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. Giannis is going to come in and he's going to do what he does. And and it's just going to be a very difficult game because he came out smoking hot. Marcus Smart checked in in the second quarter and he just stifled Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, Giannis didn't score in the second quarter with Marcus Smart guarding him. Now, I will say, and I got to ask this on Twitter, the and, and uh, Greg Popovich kind of agreed with this sentiment. The question was, do you think Marcus Smart can do this in an NBA game for as much as he did, or were the FIBA rules in play here? And there were definitely FIBA rules that were in play because you could stay in the lane and guys can help and – I don't want to make it seem like it was just Marcus Smart doing only Marcus Smart things. He did a lot of Marcus Smart things and really was the catalyst, the defensive catalyst. But the the rest of Team USA, they, they definitely swarmed. They definitely had a very big impact on this game. So Marcus Smart was the headliner, 
And in 17 minutes, he did a fantastic job defensively on Giannis Antetokounmpo. But at the same time, there were guys right behind him making it clear that they didn't respect the Greek shooters, and that was for good reason. Greece shot 7 of 27 from 3. They just kind of let everybody bomb away. But just focusing on Marcus Smart for a second here, Marcus Smart, what made him so great in this game was the the knowledge of how to play Giannis. He knew he didn't respect Giannis's shot at all. Okay, now Giannis did make a three. Uh, yeah, he was one of two from three, uh, and that first one. Well, I mean, that was like within the first couple minutes of the game. Marcus Smart was able to help off of Giannis enough where he disrupted a lot of what was going on down low when Giannis was out on the perimeter. He was able to get back enough, you know, fast enough. But it was also, once Giannis tried to go through the middle of the lane and try to relocate, Marcus Smart decided to do things like double the ball hard to try to force a turnover and disrupt the Greek offense. And then when Giannis tried to post them up, there, there's a great sequence where he was just spinning around to front Giannis so they didn't make any sort of entry pass easy. And Marcus Smart can get up. Even if you, you throw a high-arcing pass, it's either A, going to get deflected on the way in, or it's going to be so high and looping and slow that it's going to allow the rest of the defense to swarm around Giannis. So he did a masterful job, Marcus Smart did, on, on Giannis Antetokounmpo. It was really, really great to see. And I think also part of this is that you see Marcus Smart, he didn't play as much against like Turkey. He, he completely missed the, um, the game against Japan because he had a, uh, a thigh or some kind of quad thigh bruise something. He's fine. Obviously he's fine. Um, but, Greg Popovich is going to go with whatever lineup works in that situation. This time, it was very low Mason Plumley, four minutes for him. No Brooke Lopez. Miles Turner played uh, 14 minutes. So not much on the bigs. Going small a lot. Harrison Barnes played 27 minutes almost. Jalen Brown played 28 minutes almost after Jalen Brown was kind of minimized against Turkey. So... Going small in those situations was beneficial to the Americans, and Greg Popovich decided to go that way. That's the beauty of having a team that goes 12 deep, uh, to have this everybody available. Now, against a team like Serbia, if they do play a team like Serbia, maybe you'll go big, and maybe you know we saw uh, Jokic get booted from a game uh, where he just got frustrated. And he, that's kind of what he does. I mean, you saw him get ejected from games in Denver, getting getting texts like crazy because he can't control his emotions. So I wouldn't be surprised if we got into a game against Serbia and all of a sudden it just became Mason Plumley just hacking the shit out of Jokic and Brooke Lopez hacking the shit out of Jokic and try to frustrate him and get him out of his game. I mean, Jokic can take himself out of games much faster than opposing defenses can sometimes. So I wouldn't be surprised if that becomes part of the game plan. I mentioned Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown had a nice game. He played 28 minutes. He scored eight points. Uh, 
Still can't hit his free throws, two of four from the line, but he was the uh, leading rebounder for Team USA with nine. Uh, only a couple of fouls in that whole thing. Uh, no turnovers and assists. I mean, just really a blocked shot for Jalen. Overall, a, a very nice effort for him. And what was, I think, beneficial from a Celtics perspective there, as we've spoken about, they've used Mar- uh, Jalen Brown as a power forward. We saw a lot of that in this game as well. And he has been able to go up against bigger guys, hold his own, really is something. If we're looking for something that's translatable, while there's not much translatable in FIBA to the United to the NBA, I'm going to say it's not much, but there are enough rules changes where it's, it's tough to make that direct comparison. But the direct comparison that you can make for Jalen Brown is he's out there uh, bodying bigger guys, holding his own. And what I like from him offensively, you're starting to see some semblance of an offense. It's starting to come together. Uh, that one-legged kind of dirk fadeaway jumper in the middle of the lane is really money for him. Uh, in the post, if he spins baseline, he's got that little ability to clear out with the shoulder that's the you know the one that's closest to the lane, whichever way he's spun. Uh, this time he did it with his right shoulder because he spun to the left baseline. But he kind of clears a little space with that shoulder, gets a little bump, gets the uh, gets the defender off off him, gets the momentum going away from him. Maybe that can end up drawing a foul, but it should clear some space. Now Jalen actually missed the shot that I'm thinking of, but that's he missed a bunny. That's something that he should make, and he's got to finish better around the rim. So, but on the positive side, seeing Jalen do those little things, you know, he hit his he hit some threes. Uh, well, not in this game, actually, but he's hit some threes in prior games against Japan. He hit a bunch of threes. That's what I'm thinking of, but he has been hitting his threes. Um, I think if he can just do a couple of simple things, obviously make the open three drive hard against the closeout, know how to finish in those areas. Do you do that little jump step back type thing in the lane? Okay, that's fine. You get some, some space there find a way to get all the way to the rim or drive and dish. You got to develop that part of your game and then little work in the post. Get If you get a mismatch, get to work in the post. I think that's very effective. Kemba Walker was his usual self, 15 points, team high, six assists, uh, team high. That 15 points was a team high. I mean, just another Kemba Walker type game. Like it was kind of like a whole hum, like, Oh, by the way, Kemba just kind of did what he did. That's, I'll repeat myself once here by saying that Kemba is the guy that's probably the most comfortable in his role here. He's clearly the best player. Things clearly are better with him on the floor. And he's just the stuff that you see from him. He's the one guy that the stuff that you see from him, that's the stuff you're going to see in Boston. So very, very exciting to see that. Obviously, Jason Tatum didn't play. We're hopefully going to find out more about him and whether he's going to be able to play uh, in this next game. The next game, you're listening to this on Monday. We'll record a show on Monday to talk about that game. So that'll be the Tuesday podcast. So start your day with us, start your day with this, and then finish your day with the other podcast, or start your Tuesday with the other podcast. So I'm going to come back, and we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame Reminder that there's the locked-on NFL side of things. I know a lot of you probably watch the Patriots and the Steelers 
If you're Patriots or Steelers fans, there's a Locked On podcast for either of those, a Locked On podcast for either whatever your favorite NFL team is, so go check that out. Obviously, Locked On NFL, Locked On Fantasy for the NFL as well. Got your whole NFL experience covered, so find that wherever podcasts exist. Back with Hall of Fame Talk right up next on the Locked On Celtics Podcast. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA network of podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan, rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Boston Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I had the distinct pleasure of being in Springfield for the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Now, I know it wasn't the sexiest class, but for an old guy like me, I was very, uh, very much enjoying myself, uh, especially with Jack Sikma, who when I was young, when I was in high school, way, way, way back when, in Rhode Island, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, Shea High School, when I was 6'3", and in, you know, when you are a freshman in high school and you're 6'3", uh, in Rhode Island, you're a giant. Uh, if I was born in New York, they would have had me dribbling and I would have been a point guard. But in Rhode Island, I was a big guy, especially back then. So I had to learn post moves. That's my, that was my, that was my task to learn post moves. So obviously I studied Kevin McHale a lot. Uh, I also studied Jack Sigma and that reverse pivot that he had where the ball was way over the, way over his head. And he created space and made that shot impossible to block. And it was a simple move, but very, very effective and effective enough to get him into the Hall of Fame. So I enjoyed myself there. There were four inductees that had connections to the Boston Celtics. Uh, obviously, the, mo- the, the two most obvious ones, Chuck Cooper, the first African-American drafted in the NBA 
1950. Uh, he was selected by the Boston Celtics. Famously, Walter Brown uh, was told when he was selecting the uh, was was making the selection, and I forget who it was, but you hear the story of uh, you realize he's black, right? And Walter Brown says, "I don't care if he's polka dotted. If he's going to help our team win, we're going to pick him." So they actually so they selected. Uh, Chuck Cooper, he wasn't actually the first, he was the first one drafted, but he wasn't the first one to play uh, because of some kind of scheduling. There was a scheduling uh, glitch or whatever it was. So, But Chuck Cooper holds the distinction of being the first African-American drafted by an NBA team. So he is an absolute barrier breaker. Uh, the other big Celtics connection was Bill Fitch, who was the first coach Larry Bird had in the NBA, and they won a title in 1981. It was the first title of the Big Three era. So he has a very obvious connection to Boston. He holds a special place in Larry Bird's heart. Larry Bird calls him special. And uh, Fitch's big thing was turning teams around. He, he And he joked in his pre-recorded speech because he wasn't actually there, which is a shame because I really wanted to talk to him. But... The uh, what he said was I, I basically I got the jobs that nobody else wanted, but he was very good and he was able to turn a lot of teams around. He turned around and brought the 1986 Houston Rockets to the NBA Finals and lost to Larry Bird and the '86 Celtics, one of the greatest, perhaps the greatest NBA team ever assembled. So. That was uh, that was a very nice honor there. A couple of other connections. Paul Westfall, who many know as a son's great, as a son, he made like five, I believe, all NBA teams. But basically the last half of the 1970s, he was an all NBA guard for the Phoenix Suns. But he started out in Boston, cut his teeth in Boston, and won a championship in 1974 with Tommy Heinsohn. And I talked to uh, Paul Westfall a little bit, and, and he, if, if you didn't see it on MassLive.com, MassLive.com slash Celtics, go ahead and make sure you bookmark that and read all my stuff there. He had an interesting kind of, I was, I was standing there, and the way it worked on Thursday was they introduce everybody, and everybody kind of gets up and says, hey, thanks, this is a nice honor, and blah, 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 and they say a few words, and then everybody moves up to this wing of the Hall of Fame. This new interactive wing is really, really cool. But everybody was kind of around, so I got my conversation with uh, Jack Sigma, and then I was waiting to talk to Paul Westfall. And obviously I was going to talk to Westfall about some other stuff. Like I was going to talk to him about 1970, uh, the 1976 finals, game five, the triple overtime game, which was viewed as like the greatest game ever played. Uh, that was something that I'd, I kind of wanted to talk to him about, but everybody was talking to him about that. But as I was waiting, he was kind of complaining a lot about – I shouldn't characterize it that way. He kind of worked in complaints about today's NBA in a lot of the answers that I was overhearing him talking to other people while I was waiting to get a few minutes with him. And, you know, he'd say certain things like, blah, 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 this happened, and ah, I don't really like that. And, you know, oh, I, I like this guy, and uh, but I don't like how this works or whatever. So when I got to talking to him, I figured, hell, I'm just going to ask him about this. And that was my story because uh, – and I, I thought he had a, a pretty 
good point that because of the three, because of the over-reliance of the three, this wasn't like some sort of like foot-stomping, ah, things were better in my day. No, this was actually a a good point that I, I don't know if it, it hurts or helps or whatever, but his point was because of the three and the heavy reliance on the three, every offense is basically the same. You run a spread pick and roll, you know, a high pick and roll with the slowest defender on the floor, and you got shooters everywhere, and you just try and beat the team that way. And that's kind of what everybody does. That's what we talk about. You run a high pick and roll. How many times last year we talk about why aren't we running high pick and rolls more with Kyrie and Al Horford? Like that was something that we were calling for all the time. That's kind of like the way people play now. And and to Westfall's point, it's like it's fine, but it takes away a lot of the artistry, the creativity, the the different offenses from just that that creation of a shot is not as difficult as it used to be. And because it used to be more difficult, you'd have to get more creative in your offense to create a shot. And you really have to get creative based on your personnel. So different teams ran different offenses and you know, you'd have to really adjust. Nowadays it's just you have your you know, whatever your your team maybe you have to take your center off the floor and go small and and everybody's kind of sort of doing the same thing. So um it, it's an interesting it's an interesting point. And he one of the things he would like to see is a, a little less of that freedom of movement rule, which Okay, I mean, I'm not 100% sold on that either. People like to see scoring, and I think the uh, the defense in the NBA is getting a lot harder. It's a lot more difficult to play defense in the NBA. So we're, we're seeing like the best defensive teams still giving up a lot more points than the best defensive teams used to, and that's just the function of the rules changes. I guess the point with, with Westfall is, Aesthetically, he just finds it not as pleasing as the other, the other styles, the styles that it, and it's not that he's, it's bad for the game. He made it a point to say it's, he enjoys basketball. He watches it all the time. Just doesn't enjoy this aspect of it. So it's a, it's a great discussion. And I think it's a better discussion than, oh, I'm, I'm an old guy. And you know, I was, things were better with me and this sucks. He definitely wasn't playing a, a this sucks kind of card. The other, the last uh, Celtic with uh, the last guy with the Celtic tie was Carl Braun, who was a New York Knicks, an early, early New York Knicks legend, uh, like 1940s and 50s New York Knicks legend. Uh, he was a champion with the 1962 Boston Celtics in the last year of his career, backing up Bob Cousy. So uh, those were the Celtics connections. Obviously, the highlight of the night, if you haven't seen it, Teresa Witherspoon's speech. That was an amazing speech. I mean, just from the heart, awesome speech. She was the absolute highlight of the night. If you haven't seen it, Google Teresa Witherspoon's uh, Hall of Fame speech. You will not regret it. Okay, going to take a break. Going to come back. A couple of odds and ends, including, speaking of old teams, Jalen uh, his conversation with uh, with Danny Ainge 
and a new hire for the Celtics in the front office. You are Locked On Celtics, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. While I was at the Hall of Fame, Danny Ainge was having a conversation with Shira Springer of WBUR at City Space at the uh, at Boston University. Among the things that they discussed was the new hire of uh, in their front office, Allison Feaster former WNBA star. She was at Harvard, uh, a star at Harvard, and she is joining the uh, organization in as the uh, director of player development. I believe that's correct. And it's, it's an, another interesting hire. Uh, adding a woman to the front office brings another perspective. And uh, let's just, I'll read directly from Danny Ainge, because I think this is uh, this is important. He says, Brad and I have talked a lot about this, and Mike Zarin and I have talked a lot about this. I believe that women bring a different perspective in any sort of business. I had a board of fi- If I had a board of 15 people, I'd probably want 14 women and me, joking, uh, but at least 50-50, and Brad feels the same way, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he says, I think the biggest thing, I believe men and women are different, and they bring a different perspective. Uh, These two women that we brought in are very well educated and experienced in the world of basketball. I think they're going to bring a great perspective to our coaching staff and our entire organization. So, uh, and it's, it is an important thing. And I I think we can finally get past this idea that women are somehow unable to function in sports, uh, the same way men do. Uh, I think that's just such an antiquated thought because they, especially these two pros. You've got Allison Feaster. They've already hired Carol Lawson. You've got professional basketball players who are on the floor facing the same defenses and facing the same offense, and you still have to stop people and you still have to score on people. And to see how to do that, whether you're a player and you want to become a coach, so you can say, hey, like Carol Lawson, when she worked with Carson Edwards a lot, say, here's, I know the point guard position. Here's how you break a defense down. Here's how you run the pick and roll, so on and so forth. And then maybe Allison Feaster, from, because she's in the player development side, player personnel side, maybe she saw the, the game and said, oh, I'm interested in the, how the personnel affects the decision making. I'm just, that, I'm just guessing. I'll have to talk to her about that. But point is, it doesn't matter if you're a woman or a guy in that situation. You just see things differently. Your ability to dunk a basketball doesn't mean that you can't function and see things and evaluate players. It does, that doesn't make any sense. So, uh, But what does make sense is the fact that women – do see things differently, uh, maybe from a coaching perspective, not having uh, the ability to rise up and dunk on somebody means you have to f- be more creative in your in your finishing, and you know little tricks that players might not have. So uh, there's there are different ways to uh, see the game a little bit differently, and 
if somebody can bring you a different perspective, you absolutely take it. You absolutely take it because you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't know what you don't know and somebody else does, then great. That person can kind of fill you in. Uh, I've relayed this story a bunch, but uh, when I was working in television in New York City, one of the great things about how we came across our stories and how we told our stories was my morning meeting where uh, my news director was a black man from the South, from Louisiana. The assistant news director was, uh, he was Persian, grew up in France. My executive producer was a Jewish woman who grew up in New York and throughout the, you know, around the table, just different perspectives. And I can't recall specific instances, but like I can tell you that many times you would pitch a story, I would pitch a story, and somebody would say, mm, I don't know, what about this? And I never would have thought about whatever it is that they, they brought up. And vice versa, because we all have, like, I'm the son of Greek immigrants, so I see the world differently. I don't see the same. I don't see it the same way as you, who's driving, or you at the gym. If if you are from a different upbringing, just by virtue of me having to speak a different language with my parents and not having the same childhood as everybody, like I didn't have a dad who grew up in the '60s and saw like the civil rights era. Like my dad came over in the late '60s and was hanging around the Greeks. Like it probably was in the after I was born in the mid seventies, before he really had a grasp of what was going on in the United States, he was in his own little bubble. So I didn't have that. I didn't have a parent to pass down musical tastes. I didn't have a, a parent that would sit there and be like, Hey, listen to this, whatever old rock and roll or this old jazz music. Like, man, this is what I used to listen to when I was a kid or whatever. Like I had to figure a lot of this stuff out myself. So I have a different perspective than most of you. And that's great. Those different perspectives help us out a lot. So uh, I'm excited to see what these uh, two very qualified women bring to the Boston Celtics. It's going to be a very interesting kind of um, addition and uh, want to see what that impact is. Last thing I want to bring up, because Jalen Brown, uh, this this conversation about uh, (laughs) Jalen Brown and Danny Ainge, he was relaying the story about Jalen Brown asking how last year's team compared to the 1986 team. I think we've talked about this a little bit, but <laughs> Ainge kind of asked him, like, well, what do you think? When, when you're asked who's better, me, my, my team, or your team, <laughs> Ainge, is, of course, he's going to say my team. So then he says, quote, uh, he started going over matchups like, well, I'm better than you, and Kyrie's close to Bird. And Ainge says, okay, let's just stop right there. First of all, Kyrie's not close to Bird. Like, let's, Kyrie's a better ball handler than Larry Bird. Kyrie's a better ball handler, handler than just about everybody, like almost ever. But people have been slandering Larry Bird a lot lately on the internet, and I'm not here for it. And, and I don't think anybody who's been around for that era is here for it. Like, just stop. I think it's just an interesting kind of, perspective that Jalen Brown's like, well, I'm better than you. Kyrie's close to bird. Like, Oh God, you guys are really, really feeling yourselves, but it's kind of an indication of how much they were feeling themselves last year. Not that I want to rehash that. I just thought it was a funny story. I'm going to stop because I've been talking long enough. 
By the time you hear this podcast, Team USA might be done with its game against uh, Brazil. We'll see. Uh, I'm going to be, if you want to tune in, follow Locked On Live on Twitter. Obviously, if you follow me on Twitter, Reds Army underscore John, I'll retweet out the link. But I and David Locke will be doing a post-game show right after that game. So you can tune into that. We're going to be broadcasting live on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, Twitch, like all at the same time. So whatever it is, whatever one of those things that you use, um, you can just uh, follow us there. And there's going to be a post-game pod, a live post-game show there. It'll be on the Lockdown NBA channel as well as a podcast later. So there will be that as well as I will be here, hopefully with one of the other two guys to kind of help break down that from a more of a Celtics perspective. So thanks for listening. Please subscribe. Please give us that five-star rating and share the podcast with your friends. Tell them to listen to the Lockdown Celtics podcast here on the Lockdown Podcast. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.